Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. Big day today in Georgia, where the balance of the U.S. Senate is at stake as runoffs in two Senate races there are balloted today in the state. Already more than three million people have voted in that election, an unbelievable number. I expect that there will also be heavy turnout today, and the winners will decide whether Democrats or Republicans have control of the Senate for the next two years. Uh, Of course, we are watching this really closely on Detroit Today, and we will have a lot to say about it either tomorrow or on Thursday, depending on when the votes get counted. I expect that we're going to have some of the same problems that we had in November with late ballots being counted after elections uh, have have stopped. So we may not know what is going on there until later this week, but we are definitely going to talk about what that means, not just for the Senate, but of course for the incoming presidential administration of Joe Biden. Up first today, though, tens of thousands of Michigan residents have received the new COVID-19 vaccines. But as more people get their shots, there is widespread concern about the rollout. Plans to distribute and administer the vaccine doses that are available have fallen really short. And there are concerns that the return to normalcy that we are all wanting so badly is going to be delayed by maybe weeks, maybe by months. Meanwhile, thousands of people could die needlessly simply because of the government's incompetence here. And even if the vaccines do become widely available in a timely way, there are also other barriers in terms of convincing people to take this vaccine. Those concerns about vaccine safety are coming from a lot of different angles. Anti-vaxxers see this moment as an opportunity to promote their anti-science agenda And there's also the problem of a legitimate lack of trust in communities of color when it comes to medical issues and medical systems. We're going to spend the hour today talking about vaccines and the rollout so far. A little later, we'll talk with Wayne State medical researcher uh, Paul Kilgore, who has been helping to develop local efforts to deploy the vaccine. He's going to answer a lot of your vaccine questions But first, we're going to start with what's happening at Michigan universities to make sure students and staff are vaccinated this year. Dr. M. Roy Wilson is the president of Wayne State University. He is also a Harvard-trained doctor, epidemiologist, and health disparities researcher. He previously served as deputy director of the National Institute on Minority Health and Health Disparities at the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Wilson, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you as well. So let's start by talking about what's happening at Wayne State now in terms of the pandemic. How is the university keeping students and staff safe while also continuing to provide courses and services for students? And what is the involvement in deploying or distributing the vaccine on campus? Okay, well, there's a lot there. So let's uh, start off with the first part, which Mm -hmm. is what's happening in terms of classes. Um, We made the decision in early December that we were going to uh, be completely remote for the month of January. That decision was based on our assumption 
that based on what happened during the Thanksgiving holidays, that a similar kind of situation was going to happen during the Christmas and New Year holiday, perhaps even worse, in terms of people congregating and uh, spreading the disease. And um, we believe that January is going to be a, a pretty tough month uh, and from the standpoint of uh, COVID-19, mm-hmm. um, uh, people getting it. So, so we thought it would probably be better to uh, keep everything completely remote. We do have a certain number of students uh, on our campus who, uh, you know, their living arrangements on campus is really their home, uh, either because they're international students or they just don't have um, um, a, a suitable uh, living arrangement uh, otherwise. Uh, but for the most part, everything is, is pretty much uh, remote, and we're hoping that uh, beginning in in February, that we'll be able to do what we have planned to do in in January, which was a certain number of courses uh, being um, uh, face-to-face, uh, not a lot, somewhere between 5 to 10 percent, but those are the, the type of classes that um, are very difficult to do uh, remote. So that's the plan in terms of, of um, uh, you know, how we're keeping students and faculty safe, and we're hoping that we're able to open up a little bit in February. Uh, in terms of the vaccine, uh, we are, uh, we do have a partnership with the Detroit Public Health Department, and uh, we've been uh, deputized as a close point of distribution for the vaccine dis- uh, distribution for our faculty, our staff, and students. Um, so we're, we're starting this Thursday, actually, with the uh, 1As, the the tiers for distribution are, are dictated by the CDC guidelines. Right. And so we have to distribute them under uh, those guidelines uh, are signed MOU with the Department of Public Health and has, uh, you know, dictates that we follow those guidelines. So uh, we're going to uh, target the uh, health science uh, 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 professional students and faculty who are in clinical practice with patients first. Um, this will be done in a phased approach. Uh, we, we did send out uh, emails either yesterday or, or today uh, instructing uh, which students to uh, report for their vaccinations. Um, then once we get done with that, they'll, they'll be, uh, we'll go on to our 1Bs. Uh, these will be the critical infrastructure workers and public safety. And we've already obtained a list of, you know, all the critical infrastructure workers, uh, you know, that's been identified. And so um, uh, we're going to uh, get started on on Thursday. Uh, we believe that we'll be able to do probably about, we're going to start off kind of slow, make sure the logistics and everything are all worked out, uh, about 120 a day, seven days a week. Um our initial allocation is, is limited. It's only about 1,900 doses. Uh, we're hoping to get more, and as we get more, and as our logistics are, are worked out, then uh, we'll, we'll be able to uh, scale it and do many more. And there's no reason, for example, that we couldn't um, uh, use our – I'm not saying that we are going to. I haven't really talked to uh, weight health people yet. On this, but there's no reason why we couldn't mobilize our, our mobile vans that we that we use for testing, for example, uh, to uh, get more people vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll start off slow and then ramp up 
get more um, vaccine for uh, for our youth. Uh, so I want to talk about the slow rollout so far and what effect you think that might have on college campuses like Wayne State. Are we at a point where you're starting to worry about whether the slow rollout might mean not having in-person classes uh, all the time for everybody this fall? I mean, are we that are we moving that slowly that uh, that the effects could could be with us into the next academic year? Well, there's no question that we can't go at the pace that we're going now. I mean, that's that's clear. If we do that, it'll take years to get people uh, vaccinated, the n- number of people vaccinated that are necessary. But I don't anticipate that's going to happen. I, I think that, um, well, for two reasons. One, I, I think states are doing a better job. Um, I think Michigan, for example, had a not a slower start than other states, but we did get less vaccine uh, to start off with. Um, but I, I do think things will, will ramp up uh, in terms of, um, you know, getting shots in arms uh, throughout the country, uh, partly because of states doing a better job. But also, I think that you know, if, if, if the Biden administration has got to be thinking that this has got this is a top priority at this point, mm-hmm. uh, I, I've got to think that. And um, they're probably you know, strategizing about how the federal government can help in the in the um, uh, distribution and making sure that the uh, people, actually people, get um, vaccinated. Uh, you know, obviously distributing the, the vaccine to where it needs to uh, uh, go is one thing, but actually getting them into the arms of people is really what's really important. And uh, I've got to think that this is a very high priority for them. And uh, between the two, uh, the state's doing a better job, uh, just getting more organized. You know, I've got to remember also that part of the um, uh, the last few weeks in terms of the rollout has been during the holiday season, which, um, you know, does affect a, a lot of things. And so my guess is that things will speed up and that the new administration coming in will also have a plan of some sort. So, So your background, as I said, in the open is in epidemiology and health disparities. I'm really curious uh, to get your perspective on how this has all gone so far. I mean, this is something that that nobody, even people who've spent their lives thinking about uh, this kind of thing and and maybe preparing for it, obviously COVID-19 just overwhelms everything, right? It's it's nothing that could have been predicted. But but is your sense that that we're we're uh, that we're doing the right things and that we're that we are prepared to meet this challenge uh, from an epidemiological perspective and a, and a health disparities perspective? I mean, uh, well, yeah, go ahead. From a from a purely epidemiological perspective, it would be very difficult to say that we've done a good job. We haven't. Um, from the very beginning, uh, I think that um, there's been issues. I think we've done a very good job in terms of uh, developing a vaccine, and I think uh, you know a lot of uh, credit needs to be uh, given uh, for our response in, in developing uh, vaccines. But in terms of 
uh, initially testing people, getting uh, you know any sort of um, common standards uh, of recommendations uh, out and uh, mandated if necessary. Um, and then in terms of how the vaccine rollout has been um, has been handled, it's it's not been the most coordinated, uh, efficient. Uh, process. You can look at uh, many other countries. China, for example, I mean, they pretty much wiped it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not having nearly the same problems we are. There's a number of countries that uh, throughout the world that have done a a much better job. And so it would be difficult from an epidemiological standpoint. It would strain credulity to say that we've done a good job. Um, Having said that, I think that, um, that that we are improving, um, and I have I'm very optimistic that over the next um, uh, several months that there will be a ramp up of um, uh, the vaccinations. Um, people seem to be taking uh, um, public health measures like masking um, much more seriously. Um, and I, my hope is still that uh, universities will be able to uh, begin uh, full normal operations uh, for the fall semester. We'll see. Uh, a lot is going to have to go right, but I, I still think that that's a, a, a good possibility and, and something that we're going to certainly be aiming for. I'm talking with Emory Wilson. He's the president of Wayne State University. We're talking about the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccines. Who's getting it, who's in line to get the vaccine, when you might be able to get that vaccine, and when we as a nation and as a state are going to be able to get back to some sense of normalcy because of the vaccines. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Let us know what you think of the rollout of the vaccine so far. Are you confident the government is going to do what it needs to do to deploy this vaccine in a way that doesn't cause unnecessary economic hardship or other problems? What questions do you have about the vaccine? And do you plan to get the vaccine as soon as it's available to you? Or are you somebody who is really skeptical? I'm seeing lots of posts on social media these days about people asking questions about the COVID-19 vaccine and hinting that perhaps they might wait before they take it because they're a little concerned about the unknowns, the things we couldn't know at this point about its long-term effects. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and to Twitter and put comments there. We'll try to work you into the conversation that way. Uh, Dr. Wilson, I want to ask you about these questions that a lot of people have about the vaccines. A lot of people are concerned about the safety. What are you telling people if they ask you about the safety of the vaccine and the wisdom of taking it? Yeah, so Stephen, first of all, I'll just um, uh, mention that I, I did write an opinion piece uh, for the free press, which mm-hmm. was uh, uh, published uh, most of this week, and I think it was in Sunday's paper also. Um, but, but what I said in there is that, you know, certainly I understand, particularly in the African-American population, why uh, there might be some hesitancy uh, based on past history. Uh, but the thing to, to realize is, first of all, this vaccine was not uh, rushed uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that in any way sacrificed safety. The reason why it was able to be developed in such a short amount of time 
is that there was a lot of foundational research that was already done, uh, on, particularly on the uh, messenger RNA platform that both the uh, vaccines that are, are currently been approved for emergency use authorization are, uh, are using. Uh, th- this has been years and years of, of foundational research. And in fact, the, you might remember, uh, I think it was 2012, there was the Merck, uh, Middle Eastern Respiratory uh, Syndrome, mm-hmm. which was going around. And uh, at that time, the re- there was so much research on mRNA um, that if we needed to, we could have had a vaccine for Merck in 2012. But what happened is that the, um, the disease kind of petered away. It never became a pandemic. And therefore, the pharmaceutical industry did not want to, and, you know, understandably didn't want to spend millions of dollars of developing a vaccine that wasn't going to be uh, necessary. But we could have had, had it uh, almost a decade ago just because the, the, um, uh, the research was already there. And so the foundation was there for developing it. So that's number one. But the second is that, um, you know, I, I've been on these FDA uh, panels. In fact, 14 years uh, I was on uh, one that uh, dealt with uh, drugs and vaccines and, and uh, um, devices and uh, have chaired a few of them. And um, I, I know the process, the kind of data that is uh, examined. And it's a very strenuous process. Mm-hmm. And um, what I've observed from what's happened in, in both the Moderna and the uh, Pfizer uh, vaccines in terms of the considerations and, and the process uh, that the FDA used, it was actually more transparent and um, uh, more thorough in many ways than the typical, which is already uh, very thorough. And so uh, I feel very good about the um the number of eyes that was uh, uh, on this in the the science behind the soundness of the science uh, behind not only the development but the um, but the clinical trials. Um, specifically for African Americans, uh, both clinical trials, uh, both Moderna and Pfizer, had uh, adequate number of uh, African Americans in the trials. That's always a consideration. Um, many clinical trials don't have uh, enough representation of minority populations, and so it's uh, uh, it's hard to be generalizable to all populations if you don't if you didn't test in those populations. But in in this case, uh, both uh, uh, clinical trials did have adequate numbers. And then the last thing I would say is that in both the development of the uh, vaccine as well as uh, looking at the um, uh, safety and efficacy from the FDA perspective, the panel perspective, African Americans were involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of those things uh, give me uh, comfort. And I, you know, certainly have been communicating to others that this is not something that uh, you should hesitate about. We should try to get as many people as possible vaccinated. Uh, we've been, you know, there's probably going to be around 10% of the population will have um, natural immunization. Uh, by the summertime, just from getting uh, COVID, uh, we need an additional 70% in order to get um, uh, herd immunity and really uh, control this thing. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Jane in West Bloomfield. Jane, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. 
Hey, go ahead. So I'm very excited about getting the vaccine. Um, however, in the news in the last month or so, what's concerned me is the allergic reactions. I've had, I've gone into anaphylactic shock from two separate medications that are unrelated to each other. Hmm. And so this is creating a lot of anxiety for me right now. Yeah. Uh, Jane, I'm glad you called uh, Dr. Wilson. What about people who've had allergic reactions to to other medications that they've taken? Should they be worried about that with the vaccine? Yeah, you know, anytime um, you do a clinical trial, you want to be as thorough as possible. And certainly there have been um, allergic reactions that have been reported. When you look at the numbers, though, I mean, and, and the numbers of people who actually got the vaccine, it's exceedingly small and and not out of line with having an uh, allergic reaction to other medications. Um, having said that, you know, certainly uh, you do have to be careful if you have a history, uh, particularly if you have a history of uh, anaphylactic shock, I, I'd be uh, particularly careful. Uh, one of the things that is happening uh, within all the uh, vaccine centers is that they are making people wait uh, for at least 15 minutes uh, after the shot to make sure that there is no um, allergic reaction. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen within that time frame. Um, and, and so there are uh, precautions being, being uh, put in place. Um, but having, you know, I, I do think that it is exceedingly rare. I think it's, it's, it is something to be concerned about if, if you've had a history of that with other medications. But I, I think... Um, you know, if you're in a controlled situation where there's uh, support and uh, if you were to go into uh, some sort of reaction, um, I, I think it's, the chances are very, very low that that, that would actually happen. Mm. And, and it's important, of course, to consult with your own physician about those things if you are worried, and that, uh, that, will, that will get you the yeah, information absolutely. you need. Yeah. Okay, uh, Dr. M. Roy Wilson, president of the Wayne State University, always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Okay, thank you, Stephen. Yeah. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear from a Wayne State medical researcher who's also been serving as the principal investigator at Henry Ford Health System's testing of the Moderna vaccine trial. Dr. Paul Kilgore will talk about the latest vaccine news and answer your questions about the vaccine. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET delivers trusted news, inclusive conversations, and cultural experiences that empower the community. 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for joining us. We're talking this hour about the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccines, how it's going, where people stand in the line, and whether people will agree to get the vaccine. There are some folks who, of course, are a little concerned about the safety of the vaccine, whether we know enough about the long-term effects that it might have. 
we have uh, talked with M. Roy Wilson, who is the president of Wayne State University, about how the university is interacting with those vaccines and the rollout and his expertise as an epidemiologist and a health disparities expert talking about how we're going about all these things. I want to welcome another voice to the conversation now. Dr. Paul Kilgore is Associate Professor and Director of Research at Wayne State University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. He's also a Principal Investigator at Henry Ford Health Systems testing of the Moderna Vaccines trial. Dr. Kilgore, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you very much, Stephen. Great to be here with you. Yes, it's great to have you here. Also, remember, uh, if you want to join the conversation, you have questions about the vaccine. Are you worried about taking the vaccine? Dr. Kilgore is somebody who can uh, probably help you think those things through and answer your questions. So, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there. We'll try to include you in the conversation that way. Dr. Kilgore, I want to start here with you and get your reaction to the rollout so far of the vaccine. Are you as concerned as many people are about the pace? Uh, Hi, Stephen. That's a great question. And, you know, yes, I think I would say I am. And at the same time, I'm optimistic because one of the things that I know about our health system, it's its very complicated, it's very diverse. Uh, but one thing I can tell you is that people in health systems, people in the Detroit Health Department, Wayne County Health Department, Oakland, Macomb, are very, very committed. And the other thing I can tell you at the state level, the immunization program is outstanding. Uh, they've been doing a great job for many years. And folks like Bob Swanson, his team, really know what they're doing. The challenge will be making sure that the supply chain is maintained uh, from the federal level to the state level and then keeping that flowing from the state down to the local health departments. And this is this is a little bit new in terms of the rapidity with which the rollout is going out. And, you know, I think if I were to roll back the clock maybe a month or two, I probably would have recommended the federal government um, decrease the expectations in terms of the number of doses and the rollout. Um, You can always revise your numbers, but the optimistic numbers that were issued, you know, a month or two ago were perhaps um, maybe misleading. And what do you, what do you ascribe that to? What are we doing wrong? What are we not thinking about in terms of the way that we've decided to, to make these vaccines available? Well, I think there's a couple things. One is that um, it's always more challenging to implement and scale up these complex activities um, than you originally anticipate. So the first thing is training, Uh, training staff in administering the vaccine, uh, because these are new vaccines and the way that they're reconstituted and stored is different from many of the other vaccines that we've had in the past. That's the first thing. The second thing is actually being able to train staff and explain to people who are going to receive the vaccine exactly how the vaccines work and what to expect when they do get the vaccine. And then the third is just the logistics around scheduling people. And, and, you know, the good news is we have apps and we have uh, phone technologies for reminders and and getting people back to the clinic. Uh, So we're going to utilize those. 
but things like apps for vaccine safety and monitoring adverse events that are being used um, by the state now, like the vSafe app, uh, these are very important technologies that we didn't have um, necessarily rolled out um, and people aware of a long time ago. So I think now we're in a good state where we can get the word out, but a lot of education needs to be done. We're gonna have to hire and train a lot of staff, um, likely thousands of staff across the country and in Michigan to roll out this vaccine and really ramp it up quickly. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there. We'll try to include you in the conversation that way. Let's go to Claire in Plymouth. Claire, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Hi. My question for the doctor is regarding um, all the clinical studies that have happened with the vaccination. The participants have all had masks on. So my question is, after everyone gets vaccinated, for really doing what the studies did in their um, protocol, wouldn't that mean everyone should continue to wear masks to actually get that same efficacy? Mm. A great question, Claire. Uh, Dr. Kilgore, what's the answer? Yeah, that is a great question. So aside from the question of efficacy, I recommend anyone um, in our communities who is out and about and uh, has potential for exposure to wear a mask sanitize hands, hand washing, and continue the physical distancing to maintain protection against COVID-19. That's number one. If you do get the vaccine, continue to maintain those activities even after you've been vaccinated. And there, there's a couple reasons for that. One is that after you get vaccinated, the antibody levels, the neutralizing antibodies that we need for protection against COVID-19 take a while to kick in. And we need that time in order for our bodies to create the new antibodies to protect ourselves. That happens after dose one. It'll happen even more after dose two if you get a two-dose vaccine. In the trials, it's absolutely right. We recommended folks to continue doing the masking, social distancing, hand hygiene. And that was true for everyone. So it didn't matter if they were placebo recipient or vaccine recipient. Everyone was asked to do that. Going forward, um, one of the things everyone realizes is that, you know, when people get out in the community and even though they're in a trial, some people will mask appropriately, some people will not, some people will kind of uh, forget to do it, some people will not. So out in the community, um, even though people were in the trial, we actually saw cases in both vaccine and placebo groups. What that means is that somehow, some way, even though we gave instructions for people uh, to wear masks, it meant that they were being exposed in the community to COVID-19. And so when we talk about vaccine efficacy, we do interpret it in terms of those behaviors, but realize that not everyone's perfect. I'm not. And, you know, sometimes people let down their guard and unfortunately people were getting exposed, infected. So that's one of the reasons why continuing those activities, regardless of whether or not you get the vaccine now is important. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Dr. Allen in Detroit. Dr. Allen, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I listen to your show often, mm -hmm. and uh, also it's a pleasure to be on at the same time as uh, Dr. Kilgore. So I'm a graduate of Wayne State University School of Medicine, um, and I am already a board-certified internal medicine doctor, but also a gastroenterology fellow. Um, and it's just a 
pleasure to kind of really talk about this particular topic. Certainly the whole nation and the whole world are talking about this topic. Um, but I think in particular, I'm an African-American um, physician. And uh, I just wanted to really, you know, it's been a passion of mine for community engagement, uh, as well as I have a number of colleagues um, who are also young black um, physicians who we have recently and the video is in the process of being edited, soon to be released, did essentially a town hall meeting where Dr. Lonnie Joe, um, former head of the Detroit Medical Society, served as our moderator. And our exact topic is on the COVID vaccine um, and why we feel so strongly about um, the importance of taking it, particularly in the African-American community, mm. um, and you know the impact that COVID had on us personally um, and what you know how we feel that this vaccine really allows uh, for some hope. Um, we also plan to have a... Uh, live Q&A session on social media, um, January the 20th, which is the Wednesday after MLK Day. Um, and it will be from 6.30 to 8 p.m. Um, we have the flyer and everything. Things this week should be rolling out. Um, so it's just really uh, great that this topic is being discussed um, everywhere people go <laughs> so that those who still have um, their doubts and who still have questions, which rightfully so, um, can really, you know, get good information um, and uh, information from uh, physicians um, who have been able to take a look at the original research um, and really educate ourselves as, so that we can educate our, our patients, our families, and all the public. So it's just a great opportunity to be able to speak with you guys. Yeah, you know, Dr. Allen, that's uh, that's really great. Uh, everything that you're, you're talking about doing there is really necessary right now. And one of the things that makes it so necessary, I think, is the importance of messaging within our community, within the African-American community about the vaccines. Uh, I, I, I think it's great that, that we're getting a lot of messaging, uh, general messaging about the importance of taking it. Uh, but, but having African-Americans and African-American experts, doctors, saying, hey, Here's why we ought to be doing this is is really critical. And uh, it, it's one of the other levers that I think we've got to we've got to keep pulling. So I, I really I really appreciate the call and, and obviously really appreciate what you're what you're up to there. Um, thanks very much for for being part of the program. Um, let's go to Tim in Detroit. Tim, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, hi, Stephen. Good doctor. Um the the, the, doc, the pharmacist in Wisconsin, uh, uh, I think most people heard that he destroyed 500 doses of the coronavirus vaccine. Mm -hmm. And the reason he said he did it was, it was because it was affecting people's DNA. And I want to ask the doctor, why would that be a problem? Yeah. Also, Go ahead. Let me just say quickly, in 2016, they did a study in Europe. It was a massive study that showed that African and Europeans have different immune systems. How can one virus fit all? Hmm. That's my question. Uh, you know, uh, Tim, I'm glad you called because it's those kinds of little tidbits of information, which may or may not be true, that drive so many of the questions that people have and the concerns. So uh, this is the right place to be asking those questions because we've got a real doctor on the line with us. Dr. Kilgore, address the things that Tim's talking about there. Absolutely. This is a very important question and story, Stephen. And let me say from the outset that 
the COVID-19 mRNA vaccines do not change or interact with your DNA in any way. And I think that's a very, very important point for everyone to appreciate. The way that the vaccines work, these mRNA vaccines actually provide your cell with instructions on how to make a protein. And the only protein that your cells are instructed to make is the spike protein. The mRNA that is contained in the vaccine is a limited amount of mRNA. So when you get the first dose and then the second dose, as the mRNA is taken up into your cell machinery, that mRNA will last for a while and make spike protein, which your immune system will then see. But that mRNA will actually degrade and disappear after a relatively short period of time in, this, in terms of days. When that spike protein is made, that's when the money really occurs. And that's when the antibodies are made, the neutralizing antibodies that are so important. That will happen after dose one and two. Um, at any point during the immunization, the interaction of the mRNA in your cells, it is not interacting with your cell DNA in any way. In fact, um, as many people know, the DNA of your cell is contained within another membrane, the nuclear membrane in the cell. The mRNA, in fact, doesn't enter the nucleus of the cell at all. So there's no way that the mRNA will interact with the DNA, first of all. The only thing the mRNA uses is things that we call the Golgi apparatus and the endoplasmic reticulum and the ribosomes to make that spike protein. So no impact on your DNA whatsoever with the mRNA vaccines. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's really important. It's really important information to, to get out there. And as I said, there are a lot of people who are picking up small bits of information here and there and reacting to them and making decisions about it. And they're not always 100 percent accurate. So I'm glad you were able to, to clear that up for Tim. Um, OK, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Dr. Paul Kilgore. We'll also continue with your questions. Joan in Southfield. Carolyn and Royal Oak, we will get back to you as well. Uh, we also uh, will have other callers if you want to join us. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, I'm really glad you've joined us. My guest is Dr. Paul Kilgore, Associate Professor and Director of Research at Wayne State University's College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. He's also a principal investigator at Henry Ford Health System's testing of the Moderna vaccine trial. We're talking about these vaccines, the COVID 19 vaccine, the rollout how that's gone, the concerns that some people have about the vaccine safety. Dr. Paul Kilgore is here to answer your questions about safety uh, and consequences of the vaccines. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to include you. Let's go to Carolyn in Royal Oak. Carolyn, welcome to the show. 
Are you there, Carolyn? You there, Carolyn? Carolyn, call us back. I think there's something uh, wrong with your phone or with the line. Let's go to Joan in Southfield. Joan, welcome to the show. Good morning, and thank Hi. you. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of comments to make here. I think with these vaccines, the individual should trust and listen to their heart. That's the safety of all of this. No other entities that have to do with this, they should listen to and to trust their heart. And whose safety is is implied here? The individual safety or the collective individual's safety? Mm. Listen to your heart, because there is no other God before them, none. Listen to your heart and pay attention to it and trust it. And that's all I have to say. Okay, Joan, I appreciate the call and the comments. I will say in response, I think we should trust the science. And I think that's really important right now. Uh, Dr. Kilgore, do you have anything to add to that? So uh, the listener actually has a very interesting point. I think, you know, when you consider the your individual risk and you consider the the science, the vaccine data that we have, and then when you consider the impact of the vaccine on yourself and your family, I think one of the things always to think about is um, going forward, are you really thinking about the best interest of yourself going forward for the long-term, your long-term health and your family's long-term health? Because by you getting the vaccine, not only do you directly protect yourself, uh, but you actually will help to protect your own family. And in my case, um, with older family members around it's uh, very, very important to make sure that we provide all that protection that we can in order to maintain the health of our family and friends. The, the other thing I would say, you're right, Stephen, I think the science um, is um, out there. We have data for these trials. In fact, the Moderna vaccine trial data was just released in the New England Journal last week, and it is the data reported to the FDA that was actually used in the emergency use authorization so for all of us involved in vaccine research, and one of my number one mantras is transparency and communicating what we see in the trials, what the information means, what we know and what we don't know, and making sure that people know as we go forward thing and new data emerge, we're going to let people know exactly what we find. Um, so there are lots of reliable sources, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, CDC website, Medical journals are very reliable as well. And I, I would encourage people, if they have any questions, they can reach out to me. I'd be happy to discuss any of their concerns or questions uh, as well. Yeah. And you can get uh, Dr. Kilgore's contact info at our website, as well as I believe at the Wayne State University College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. Uh, let's go to Boonmi in Madison Heights. Boonmi, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. Uh Um, My question is, I heard that the coronavirus vaccine could cause long-term autoimmune disease. Um, I guess the thinking is that it's sending a message to your body to fight something. How do we know that it won't later send messages to your body to fight the wrong thing? Hmm. Great question, Uh, Dr. Kilgore. Is uh, Is that accurate? So when we've done the trials and as we've looked at the data in the trials, 
So far, we have no evidence that the vaccines would induce long-term autoimmune diseases or autoimmune diseases. One of the things that um, I wanted to just emphasize is when we vaccinate, and the mRNA vaccines are a good example, we are directing the immune system to really focus its effort in producing what we call the neutralizing IgG antibody. And that neutralizing IgG antibody is directly focused against the spike protein for the coronavirus. It's not directed against any other parts of your body or the uh, uh, antigens, we call them antigens, these are proteins in your body um, that would, if in the case of uh, having autoantigens, lead to an autoimmune disease. We're gonna be following all of the science and the data and the long-term effects of these vaccines. The Moderna vaccine trial and Pfizer trials began back in the summertime of 2020, which means that in a, just about five, six more months, we're gonna have almost one year of data, follow-up data from the trial participants. And one of the goals of our trials are to really follow people and look at longer term uh, immune response and safety of these vaccines. So going forward, we're gonna know if people do generate any autoantibodies. There's no evidence right now uh, that we've seen and no suggestion that there are autoantibodies formed following these vaccinations. Hmm. Uh, again, uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We've got Carolyn in Royal Oak back oh, with us. Good. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Glad you're doing this program. Sure. Uh, I have a question. If someone has a chronic disease like MS, will the uh, vaccine harm them or help? Great question, Carolyn. What about people who suffer from chronic diseases, Dr. Kilgore? So there are excellent guidelines at the CDC website. So the first thing I want to mention is for, for all listeners, um, they can actually go there and know, A, who's eligible to be vaccinated, and B, who's not. One of the key groups uh, that we know we don't want to vaccinate are people that have had an allergic reaction to any COVID-19 vaccine. So if you have an allergic reaction or anaphylaxis to the first dose, we would not provide a second dose. For people with MS and other underlying medical conditions, there's no current contraindication uh, telling us that they should not be vaccinated. And in fact, um, for many people with underlying medical conditions, these are going to be uh, groups of people that we really want to try to vaccinate um, as early as possible. And that means folks with diabetes, uh, obesity, uh, chronic lung disease, chronic heart disease, and other conditions that put them at higher risk for severe COVID-19. Again, Carolyn, thanks very much uh, for the call and the comments. Let's go to Peter in Gross Point. Peter, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Hey. This is Peter. Hi. Go ahead. Hey, my question is, I'm 67, and my question is, will it come a point when, because I listen to the news all the time, when I, it, it will be the case where I can uh, simply go to the drugstore and have my COVID vaccine injection, similar to how I did with my flu injection. I, I didn't have any, I didn't have to wait in line. I mean, you know, as long as I wait long enough, won't it come a time when it'll pretty much be a normal thing? Mm. That's a great question, uh, Peter. I have a lot of questions, too, about availability and 
uh, how easy it will be to get the, the the vaccine in sort of the out months and 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 years. Uh, Dr. Kilgore, talk about how how available this will ultimately be. So as the vaccine gets rolled out to larger and larger segments of the population, those places where the vaccine will be available will greatly increase. So we know pharmacies in the community are going to be key partners for delivery of the vaccine. We know the local health departments will be key partners. And of course, the larger health systems will keep delivering vaccines. And there will likely be additional clinic locations where people can get the vaccine. One of the things I'm sure we're going to be seeing um, in the coming weeks and months are announcements in newspaper, TV, radio, internet websites in describing locations where people can go to be vaccinated. So what I would recommend is stay abreast of the news, kind of keep your eyes out and uh, listen for news about where and when the vaccines may be uh, made available. I suspect also there will be efforts in some communities to set up uh, what you might call pop-up vaccination sites in church parking lots, in other locations um, that are large and can maintain a large uh, throughput. Um, So, for example, uh, many have heard, I think, at U of M, they're actually using the stadium to vaccinate for COVID-19. So Mm. we're going to see a lot of new things coming on the horizon. So... um, uh, listen carefully. Stay tuned for sure. Will there be more more vaccines as well? I mean, you've got other research going on. Will this expand because there are more options at some point? Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, uh, we are now in the follow up phases of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine trial. Here, I'm actually in our vaccine trial clinic as we speak. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I know is that as we move forward, we can expect a process for the J and J vaccine much like we've seen for Pfizer and Moderna, where they analyze the data very carefully. There's transparency in the communication around safety and immune response and efficacy. They present that data to the FDA and to the Verback committee. And then the FDA and the committee make a decision as to whether or not to recommend the vaccine. And then ACIP committee at CDC will review the data and then make a recommendation on its use and deployment. So that vaccine should be coming up in the early months of 2021, and there may be a couple others uh, in the near term after that, um, as well as maintaining stockpiles and ramping up production for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines in in the millions of doses. Okay, Dr. Paul Kilgore of the Wayne State University College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, it is always really great to have you here and your expertise as part of our conversation on Detroit Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Stephen. Great to be here. It's going to do it for us today. Tune in tomorrow when we talk about the future of the Republican Party in Michigan and nationwide and follow up on what is happening today in Georgia as the Senate runoff elections take place. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.